Have you ever noticed how the seasons of the year are so closely tied to certain foods? Turkey and stuffing are almost synonymous with late fall and Thanksgiving, as are, you know, pumpkin-spiced everything. Burgers and hot dogs, while consumed year-round in this country, can't help but evoke the 4th of July when they're done at home on the grill. And when I think of Easter, I still think about chocolate bunnies and eggs, even though I don't think I've really eaten those for quite a few years. Special foods can help to mark the dates and seasons that are important to our culture as Americans, and the same is true in our shared culture of the church as Catholics. I'm sure you'd agree that there are certain foods that just fit specifically with the season of Lent, and of course with its ubiquitous predecessor, Fat Tuesday. These Lenten foods vary from culture to culture, but in my family, Fat Tuesday has always meant one thing, pancakes. Okay, all right, <laughs> let me start over. Um, wait, what was the question again? <laughs> well, actually, let's skip that part because I, I, I can just introduce you. To tell you more about Pancake Day, I've enlisted the help of a special guest, my brother Christian. It feels like I'm, it also feels like I'm talking to myself, kind of, but. Ah, yeah, kind kind of the same here. I mean. No, we're not twins, but yes, we do sound a lot alike. Sorry about that. Anyway, our dad is from England, and Christian and I were both born over there, so a lot of our family traditions are shaped by our English heritage. One of those traditions is Pancake Day, which is the day before Ash Wednesday. Pancake Day is really just the nickname. The more official name for the day is Shrove Tuesday. I didn't know this till recently, but did you know that to be shriven means to be, like, to go to confession, to get your Hmm. sins forgiven? No, I didn't. I actually didn't know that. Like many traditions, the origins of Pancake Day are murky, but they make a lot of sense when you think about it. I think for sure the tradition of doing the pancakes is definitely just from people wanting to clean out their pantries from like all the flour and eggs and sugar and stuff like that right which which kind of makes sense because i guess like back in the day that was like the main ingredients that people had on hand and you can mix up those and turn them into pancakes so yeah it makes sense yeah that does make a lot of sense and i guess it, it also makes makes sense that um there's not at least at our house there was not never much rhyme or reason to what you put on it either um you know we would kind of just put whatever we had on hand on the pancake and when we say pancakes we're not necessarily talking about the kind you might get at ihop the ones we make are flatter and wider more like crepes really we would usually have competitions to see who could flip the pancake the best or the most number of times (laughs) and um that was always fun usually our dad would kind of start and do a really good flip and then more often than not one of us kids would end up flipping the pancake onto the floor and you know we would just pick it back up or into the chandelier or something like that yeah exactly and we would usually just pick it back up and put it back in the pan and you know five second rule sort of thing in our house these pancakes get filled with tasty things either sweet or savory and then rolled up almost like a breakfast burrito one of the ones that i really enjoyed that we used to make sometimes was um it was actually a, a pancake with mayonnaise on it and then oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, grated cheese. And you would, oh, you would yeah, kind of roll it up um, with all of that inside. And But, you know, another thing that was fun is that we kind of got to just experiment and, you know, put on them whatever we wanted to. It's not just Fat Tuesday that has its own special food in England, as you'd imagine. 
Like many countries around the world, including the U.S., fish is often the penitential food of choice for Fridays and for fasting days in Lent. Yeah, and I remember um, our grandma also makes uh, fish pie a lot of times on Fridays. Yeah, that, that one's really good. Fish and chips is a common meal in England no matter what the season, and it makes for a great Lenten meal too, even though English cuisine is well known for featuring beef in almost every form imaginable. That being said, Christian and I may have been born in England, but we grew up in the small town Midwest, where good fish and chips is a little harder to find. Whatever the dish, the purpose remains the same, to give up something good, namely meat, and to offer up that small suffering as a reminder of the suffering Christ endured on Good Friday. You know, when when the church says to fast, we fast, and when the church says to feast, we feast, and it's a good reminder that on a day like Fat Tuesday, um, it is good to to do something before Lent. It is a good thing. We need to fast at the times when we're supposed to, and on on feast days, um, it's it's good to feast because that really makes those times of fasting have more meaning when we are enjoying the times, the good times that the church says to enjoy, as well as observing the times when we need to be more sorrowful and fast. This week on CNA Newsroom, we're going to take you across the globe to learn more about the foods and cultural practices that Christians use to mark the penitential season of Lent. Stay tuned for voices from Madagascar, Lebanon, Timor, El Salvador, and China. How does it start? You're listening to see You've been listening to? No, you you are, lis- you are oh, listening okay, to okay. CNA Newsroom. You're listening to CNA Newsroom, the podcast that brings you the people behind the headlines. I've been your host, Jonah McKeown. And I'm your real host, the real Jonah McKeown. Stay with us. A lot of friends take um, the Lent uh, uh, seriously in the sense that this is for them the time where they abstain from, let's say, drinking or eating meat or, you know, eating their favorite noodles. And it's something that they like to do because it kind of keeps them in check. This is Julie Tejo, a high school teacher who lives in Beirut, Lebanon. Lebanon, as you'll know if you listen to this podcast, is not in great shape right now. We spoke with Julie last September not long after this happened. It was one of the largest man-made, non-nuclear explosions in human history, caused by a stockpile of ammonium nitrate that had sat neglected at the port for six years. All told, the August blast killed nearly 200 people, injured 600 others, and caused more than $4 billion in damage. Today, the normally bustling streets of Beirut remain filled with rubble. Foreign aid has poured into the country, but it hasn't been enough yet to rebuild six months after the disaster. To make matters worse, the coronavirus pandemic has hit Lebanon especially hard, and they've been under pretty strict lockdown for a while. Lent is a period where we feel that, you know, it's a period to reflect, but I mean, we've just been through so much that people are just tired of thinking and they want actions, if that makes sense. Lebanon is home to one of the oldest Christian communities in the entire world. Lebanon is mentioned at least 70 times in the Bible, and according to the Gospels, was visited by Jesus himself at least once. Most Catholics in the West are part of the Roman Rite, hence Roman Catholics, 
In Lebanon, almost all the country's Christians belong to the Maronite Rite. If you're Roman Catholic like most people in the U.S., you might find some of the traditions that Maronite Catholics do slightly different, but not by much. For example, Maronites in Lebanon and around the world get ashes on their foreheads right before Lent, but on a different day than you might be used to. For the Catholics that follow the Maronite tradition, I mean, the Catholics in Lebanon in general, and the church, it starts on Mondays. And usually the first weeks, I mean, even if you do not go to church, it's more like a tradition. We basically do not eat meat the entire first week. Or we abstain from eating meat on Wednesdays and Fridays because it's considered the days where Jesus suffered the most on the cross. And yes, Maronites also have the tradition of feasting the day before the period of fasting starts, although it's not called Fat Tuesday. The Thursday before uh, before Lent, the week before Lent, we call it Chamis Sakara, or I mean, let's say, I'm not going to call it Drunk Thursday, but it's roughly translates to that. So it's basically, you know, the night where you, you know, gather up and have like happy hour and just, you just feast. Like in many other countries, Lebanese Christians have certain foods that are commonly eaten during Lent. It's all really vegetarian dishes, a lot of obviously hummus, a lot of falafel during this period, a lot of, you know, beans and rice, a lot of vegetarian stews. One of the most common Lenten meals is a simple lentil soup, which Julie said they eat a fair bit even in normal times. You just basically boil lentils until they're soft and on the side you just mix just onions and then you basically throw it into the the the, the lentils that are boiling in water and the water would have started reducing by then about like 40 minutes and you just add obviously salt pepper cinnamon and cumin and then you add just like so if you if you're boiling a cup of uh, of lentils you you just throw in a quarter of a cup of rice that will mix together and it's just basically like a brown soup, but it's very good for you. Lent is a time of fasting, repentance, and reflection no matter where in the world you are. And in Lebanon, that's no exception. But Julie said amid the many woes of Lebanon, the blast, the pandemic, economic and governmental crises, the biggest thing many Lebanese Christians are seeking from this Lent is silence and peace. As you know, for a lot of people, the trauma is still present six months after the blast. Like, it's still there. You know, you're surrounded by disaster. You're surrounded by bad news. That, like, for example, my mother, we were talking yesterday. She said she is, um, so she's not eating until noon every day because she thinks that it's a way for her to connect with God and maybe just alleviate some of the pain that many Lebanese are going through, whether or not they don't have enough to eat or because their homes are not ready because of the blast. I mean, it's we feel there's no respite. And like so for my mother, for instance, it's a way for her to basically find some peace in that tumult. For our next segment, we bring you across the world to an island you may not have even heard of before. Here's our executive producer, Kate Oliveira. It is a time for the people to really, really recognize that they are um, human, that, that have mistakes, and it is time for them to pray to the God, to be a, a better person. So that's what we are doing here. <laughs> but I think it's, it's the same as other countries, which is majority is Catholics, Mana. This is Yanni Tamanab. 
Yanni works for Catholic Relief Services in the island nation of Timor-Leste, also known as East Timor. It's located between Indonesia and Australia. Oh, and that term she used earlier, mana, I don't know if you caught it, but here's an explanation. Here in Timor-Leste, we rarely call someone by name. So for a female, we call mana, means sister, and for a male, we call maun. Uh, which is means brother. Anyway, Timor-Leste was colonized by Portugal. So today it has a blend of Indonesian and Portuguese culture. The majority of people are Catholic. Yanni told me churches are packed on Ash Wednesday. It's actually a public holiday there. So many schools will be closed and businesses will open later in the day to give staff time to attend Mass. She told me the country almost seems to quiet down during the season of Lent. Everyone prioritizes time for self-reflection and prayer. And then Holy Week and Easter come, and it's a big celebration. Yeah, big celebration means in the church, uh, mana, so it will be a big uh, mass. It will be until uh, late at night uh, on Thursday, uh, and then continue with uh, another mass on Friday morning. And after that, you know, because we have been consumed meatless meal, for a month, then people will enjoy eating meat again the next day. <laughs> and normally we spend time at the beach after the mass. So it's kind of celebration, yeah. The majority of Catholics, including Yanni and her family, abstain from meat only on Fridays. But she told me Catholics from older generations will abstain from meat on Fridays and Wednesdays. And many of them will fast the entire season of Lent, having only one full meal each day. They have early breakfast and will not eat anything until 6 uh, p.m. Timor-Leste has several popular meatless options for Lent. The most popular one is likely batar daan. Batar daan is a mix of pumpkin, corn, and beans. So it's mixed together. It's very nice. If you like a great taste, you can add like uh, coconut milk. The dish normally includes pork, but obviously not during Lent. We also have uh, what we call budu. Budu is tomato sauce mixed with mint, lime, and onion. It's typically eaten together with batar daan. We also have uh, what we call katupa. Katupa means uh, rice on coconut milk. It's basically rice wrapped in coconut leaves and boiled in coconut milk. Yanni says it costs a little extra to prepare because of the coconut milk. So a lot of people will save this recipe for special occasions only. It's very nice. It's very delicious. Our expat, our international staff, they love this kind of food. It's quite filling. <laughs> it's very nice. Yanni said she and her family mostly eat green vegetables on Fridays during Lent. We have local uh, spinach here mixed with tomato, lime, uh, and then um, olive oil. Uh, and it is good. You can just mix with uh, boiled potato and it is It is okay for the rest of the night. (laughs) Hi, my name is Luke Coppin. I'm the Europe Editor for Catholic News Agency, based in England. Catholic News Agency has bureaus across the globe, one on nearly every continent. From my base here in the UK, I oversee our coverage of the Vatican and the Pope. When I'm not editing stories, I enjoy listening to CNA Newsroom, because with its bold and imaginative storytelling, it takes me beyond the headlines and into the lives of extraordinary Catholics in the United States and elsewhere around the world. 
If you like what you hear on CNA Newsroom, please subscribe to the programme on your favourite podcast app. It's available for free on all podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify and many others. To subscribe, simply open your phone's podcast app, search for CNA Newsroom and tap subscribe. And please, when you subscribe, leave us a rating and a review. And now, sit back and relax, pour a cup of tea and enjoy the rest of the programme. My name is Radzonarsina uh, Budwarman Chafanzanoliva, but as you say, you can call me Liva. Liva works for Unbound, an organization founded by lay Catholics, which works with the poor around the world. She's Unbound's project coordinator for the massive African island of Madagascar. Madagascar is a big island in, in Africa, which is very beautiful. Madagascar is a very diverse country with at least 18 different ethnic groups. But Christianity is a strong common aspect of Madagascan culture among its 28 million inhabitants. 90% of the people in Madagascar are from Christian background. I mean, by Christian Catholic is majority and a few Protestants and maybe a few other uh, denominations. In Madagascar, each village have a church building. Pope Francis visited the island in 2019 and got a very warm welcome. Papa Francisco! There were millions of people traveling and and but from very far I was able to see him, Pope Francis. That was great. So what does Lent normally look like in Madagascar? The majority of the people are eating the varia mianana, that um, it's just a rice, soft rice cooked with a vegetable, um, very tasty. Madagascar is located deep in the southern hemisphere, so Lent for them is in the middle of summer, the perfect time for freshly harvested beans and rice. Like many developing countries, poverty is a pervasive problem for families in Madagascar, despite the island's tropical climate. Only about 6% of the island's land is arable, and desertification is a growing problem. Amongst the 10 poorest countries in the world, the children are facing a lot of issues. Um, They have a tough life and they do not have access to education. For Madagascan Christians, Lent is particularly a season for giving to those in need. It's a time to give away things that you can give away, good things, clothes, or any items at home that you could give away. And uh, church are collecting, inviting individual Christian to um, send uh, the things in the church and collect it in one place and go and visit the prison or different centers that would need the items. During Lent, even at school, we have a lot of Catholic uh, school, and even the children, the small children from uh, kindergarten to grade 12, uh, to bring something at least once during the Lent time to uh, give away. As we mentioned, Leva works with children and older people to help them out of poverty. Unbound gives people the opportunity to sponsor a child or an elder through a regular monthly donation. 
Leva says many of the families in Madagascar who are helped by the Unbound program see Lent as an opportunity to share what they have with families who don't have sponsors. Being Unbound is a great opportunity to um, break the poverty and they still have the eyes to look at other people who are not in the program and they still give away and they still have lots of practice of um, um, community of compassion. One child in the program, before they joined Unbound, she could not go to school, has no access to school, and the family are struggling to find their daily food. And uh, since she has joined Unbound, um, and she has access to school, and during the lockdown, she sat down four hours a day to teach her mother to read and write. Um, become her mother's teacher. So we are so proud of that child and of that mother. You know, in other countries, the parents are helping the children to finish the homework um, during pandemic. But this unique family, it was the child who is sitting down and helped her mother to read and write. Above all, Leva says, the pandemic has not lessened the desire that the people of Madagascar have to mark Lent with the appropriate prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. The heart of the people are still really, really fervent in celebrating and, 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 and doing Lent in Madagascar. Their heart is like, uh, want to walk together with the Lord. And since people are confused what's happening and what's going on with the pandemic and people are turning more in praying and fasting, praying for the country, praying for the world. And I see that more people are even participating in Lent than before pandemic. The Holy Week is a, a time that people will expect every year. One of the first questions that you make during the start of the year is when is the Holy Week, right? And you look, look for it in your calendar, then you can somehow get an idea when, when, when it's coming. This is Juan Carlos Duran. He's from El Salvador, and today he leads Catholic Relief Services Youth Program in the capital city of San Salvador. San Salvador is a very vibrant city with a, with a lot of people. It's a very intense uh, city. It's kind of, we have a kind of warm weather. It's a small country, so you're very, in, in a short time, you're very in different places. The overwhelming majority in El Salvador are Christian. Juan estimates at least half are Catholic. And those Catholics are very enthusiastic about their faith. In non-COVID times, I would say you will find that during the Ash Wednesday Mass, uh, churches w- would be like really crowded with long lines of people getting the, uh, the ash. Juan said Palm Sunday is also a major celebration in El Salvador. You go to the church and in the outside you will find people who are selling these palms. And, and then the priest many times goes outside and he, after the mass, he, he comes and he, he kind of gives you like uh, some drops of his holy water and people is very trying to get some of that. Many neighborhoods and parishes will also organize their own way of the cross. 
one of El Salvador's most well-known and most colorful traditions, are Holy Week carpets. People will make these, these carpets with salt or flowers or sawdust. Entire blocks of the street can be like covered with these, these carpets. And the idea is that they're very colorful. They show how somehow the identity of, of, of the people who are doing or the group who are doing this carpet, but also it shows like a, a passage of the Holy Week. And then when the procession comes, they step over the, 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 the carpet, right? And so it's, it's a very, very colorful tradition here in El Salvador and in, in other countries in Latin America as well. Catholics in El Salvador abstain from meat on Fridays. Instead, Juan said a lot of people will eat dry fish. And the idea is you have this fish that has been dried up sun with salt. People uh, at home, for example, my mom would prepare a mixture of egg and flour and then we'll butter the, 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 the fish into it and fry it in a pan with a sauce. And it's kind of, it has an intense taste, but at the same time, it's very, very delicious. Or vegetarian versions of El Salvador's national dish, the pupusa. Pupusas are kind of like quesadillas, sort of. They're made with these thick corn tortillas stuffed with savory fillings like beef, pork, beans, and cheese. We have different types, beans and cheese, or just cheese, or other vegetables. Another popular meatless dish in El Salvador is pretty similar to French toast. We call it torrejas. You have this egg brioche loaf, and then you slice slice it, like in a banana bread loaf, right? And then you... You batter as well in a mixture of milk, cinnamon, cutter in, in egg whites, and then you fry like a French toast, that they would say. And then you have a, this sugar cane syrup. And I mean, it's it's very traditional having these, these torrejas uh, during this time of the year. Torrejas aren't unique to El Salvador, but it's a very popular dish there, especially during Lent. This year, Lent overlaps with the feast day of St. Oscar Romero, a Catholic archbishop who was martyred in El Salvador in 1980. And Juan said that will make Lent a little bit different. That is going to be through March 24th. So it happens in the mid in the mid time of uh, almost closing the Lent or the end of Lent. So I think it also gives you another also feeling during this celebration and also during the holiday. I know for myself, I find Chinese fish so tasty that, um, if anything, it's a reward. So I, I actually go completely, I go completely vegetarian on uh, Fridays and Lent uh, when when I'm over in China. Meet Monica, although that's not her real name. She's a Catholic entrepreneur who has spent a lot of time living and working in China. From time to time, Monica's travels in China overlap with the season of Lent. And Lent in China can look pretty different than Lent back home. If you were to ask the average Chinese, you know, what have you given up for Lent? They they kind of look at you quizzically. And I found that out when I did a Lenten retreat for a bunch of young adults. Uh, and and they were like, what do you mean? What have I given up? You know, like chocolate or TV. And they're like, uh, no. <laughs> for Catholics in China, there are really two Catholic churches. The so-called underground church, which is persecuted and loyal to Rome 
and the state-approved Patriotic Church, whose bishops are chosen by the government. Under a controversial deal approved by the Vatican two years ago, all of the Patriotic Catholic bishops are now in communion with Rome. China is one of the world's most difficult countries in which to be a Christian, or any religion for that matter. The last few decades, the Chinese Communist Party has clamped down on the religious freedom of Christians, both Catholic and Protestant, as well as on Muslims and other believers. The persecution is alive and well, but also so is the Catholic Church. And again, that's regardless of whether you are, um, uh, go to a Catholic underground church or through the Patriotic Church. Um, you know, and I say alive and well, there's struggles. And there's a lot of things, you know, people have to watch what they say. There's a lot of precautions that you have to take. There's a lot of self-censorship that goes on. And, and of course, government censorship in addition to the, you know, the self-censorship. The persecution varies from region to region, though, and Monica said she's personally seen many of China's churches packed with worshipers. You know, in a lot of places where I've uh, gone to church, if you're if you're not um, at the church a half hour before mass begins, good luck finding a place to sit down because a lot of times it's standing room only. At least they were packed before the coronavirus pandemic, which, of course, originated in China. Monica said Lent in China often has a particular emphasis on forgiveness. This kind of emphasis, this message, that's something that I hear many of the priests try to emphasize because that can be a struggle in any society. Uh, but also there's, there's so much struggle that the Chinese people have gone through over the decades. There's a lot of pent-up anger um, and there's a lot of uh, hurt and woundedness that uh, many have held on to uh, that can be difficult to let go of and to heal from. You know, that's that's an area that I see um, Lent can be very transformative within China and has been for quite quite a few people. Monica said she's found that many Chinese Catholics are going online to find community with their fellow believers. There's been a lot of these online initiatives, um, efforts through WeChat channels, um, even though, yes, they are monitored. But, you know, there's a certain amount that the government allows uh, otherwise, the system, the entire system would break. So you have to allow a certain amount of that to 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 continue. And so many of these Christian groups have been able to use that effectively uh, to stay in communion with one another and to help encourage one another in prayer, in fasting um, and other forms of observation of this period of special period of Lent. They're very creative, you know, <laughs> and you know, we, 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 we have an entire 2,000-year history um, throughout the world where uh, the church has been persecuted in different places at different times. And, um, you know, the Holy Spirit is able to help the people find ways uh, to continue to practice their faith um, and uh, to, to stay close to Christ. Despite the challenges and persecution, Monica says it's clear to her that there are a surprising number of people in China who view Christianity not as a threat to the communist state, but as a social good. I think there are those within government who recognize that, you know, Christianity is not something to be necessarily afraid of, uh, but is actually something to help make Chinese society better. Many Chinese become Christian because they love their country, they love China, their fellow Chinese citizens, and uh, they see in in Christianity, this call to help the other, where so much has been so prevalent for so long within atheistic Chinese society to just look after yourself. The resiliency of China's Catholics is something Monica believes has come to define the church in China. And it's something she says we can all learn from.
I think resiliency, perseverance, and faithfulness, these are really core things that really strike, I think, to the spirit, the core of how the church uh, continues to thrive, even in the midst of persecution. But again, persecution to some degree, but not in others, right? I think that's something important. Um, It is not a free church, certainly not. Um, But there's pockets of persecution, and then there's places where people are able to worship almost completely freely. But in, in any regard, how we look at the church in China, uh, we are looking at people of God who are seeking to grow closer to Christ, and they are seeking to persevere in their faith, to grow in that faith through uh, many creative means. And there's a lot we can learn um, from their devotion by not taking our own faith for granted, because um, few in China are able to take their faith for granted. It's something very beautiful, very precious to them. And I see um, a greater spirit of evangelization within China than I see in most any other parts of the Christian world. And I think that's something that's quite beautiful because they recognize what a precious gift they've been given and how much they desire to offer that gift of faith, that love and hope uh, to others throughout their society. CNA Newsroom is a production of Catholic News Agency, a service of EWTN News. We're produced and edited by me, Jonah McKeown, and Kate Oliveira. A special thanks to everyone we spoke to this week. If you like our podcast, please consider subscribing on your favorite podcast app and leaving us a rating and a review. Those ratings and reviews help other people find the show. A blessed Lent to you all, and we'll see you in two weeks. Thank you.